Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We finished through verse 12 last time, so we will pick it up at 13 tonight. The last time we were in 1 Thessalonians, we looked at the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness to the gospel. Now he switches gears and he moves to the faithfulness of the people in the Thessalonian church that he was only with for a short time before he got run out of town. But remember, Timothy has come back and given him a good report of the good things that are going on at that church. They were, by most measures, what we would call a very successful church in God's eyes. And why is that? I think it, it's so simple, it, it's almost really almost insulting, simply because they were believers, people who had put their trust in Jesus, who desired to live out the word of God. It's that simple, and they, and they were trying their best with God's help to live the Christian life. I mean, what more could the Apostle Paul ask for? He was their founding pastor, and, and I know uh, we'll talk a little bit about it next week, as well as the founding pastor of this church. It's really not much more I would you know, ask from people. People say to me all the time, there's something we can do with, for you. And I always say, walk with Jesus. And they're like, no, no, we want to do something for you. And I'm like, no, that is doing something for me. That, that revives my own faith, revives my own uh, spirit and soul. And the Apostle Paul will talk about that next week. And uh, these were people who wanted to live their lives in such a way that, that it was pleasing to God. And as far as we ourselves go, a strong Christian life really flows out of a desire to please God. And that is, um, we please God in who we are and in all that we do. It, it's an all-encompassing thing. It, it really, it just grows out of our heart, becomes who we are, and it really becomes second nature in so many different ways. Uh, the Thessalonian church quite simply heard the word of God, uh, responded to it, and it transformed them. But it wasn't just this little temporary thing. The Apostle Paul commends them for their continued faithfulness. And so this section here, he looks, uh, where we're at tonight, he looks at their sincere motive to please God and shows us motives that are pleasing to God. So let's jump in verse 13. For this reason, he says, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as, uh, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, and notice this, effectively works in you who believe. So really, the Apostle Paul is kind of going back to what he was talking about at the beginning of the letter. You know, like what preachers do is they get into something and then they digress for a few moments and, and then they find their way back or they try to find their way back. Sometimes it's not always that easy. I'm like, where was I? What was I talking about? And so he sort of kind of finds his way back to what he was talking about. And he, he, he thanks God for God's work in the hearts of the Thessalonians. He is thankful that they received the word of God. What I love about the apostles, they went out, they preached the word like it was the word of God. Whether people believed it or not, that was up to them. Remember what we learned this past Sunday? Sometimes, oftentimes, the crowd is wrong. And so they went out, they preached the word of God like it was the word of God, like it is the word of God, and the Thessalonians received it as the word of God. Now, important thing we have to remember here, remember we said that 2 Thessalonians was either, I mean, 1 Thessalonians was either the first or the second of the Apostle Paul's letters. Galatians, 1 Thessalonians considered to be his first two letters. So there's no New Testament yet. And so what they, what they really heard was they were hearing the teaching of the Old Testament and they were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and they heard it and they embraced it and believed. And, and like the Apostle Paul, the gospel produced something in the hearts of the Thessalonians that is critical to, to serving God and walking with God. It produced a gratitude for the gift of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And their gratitude uh, was, was directed towards the giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they heard about his life, 
Remember we said the apostles had to keep hearing about the cross because so they were getting it and they were getting it and they were getting it. We said that in Matthew's gospel. And so they began to be motivated by grace. Now, there's a lot of people who say they're Christians, but yet when you talk to them, they, it's clear they do not have a desire to, to thank and please God. And, and what do you do when you see someone like that? You say, oh, well, I don't, I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. Oh, you don't love them. You see, when someone does not want to thank God, please God, walk with God, it's, it's right to, to, in a lovingly, you know, loving way, challenge them, do you really know the Lord? Do you really know the Lord Jesus? You know, a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus and this is where I think sometimes people who are not really in the kingdom yet get it wrong as well. Many people who are not followers of Jesus see our faith solely as a duty. You know, they'll, they'll say, does your church make you do this? People ask me that question. I go, my church doesn't make me do anything, right? And that's not because I'm the pastor. The churches I went to before, they didn't make me do anything. You know, I'm just like the rest of you. I don't want to do it. I ain't doing it, right? And that's, the, that's, the way, that's the way people are. And they see our faith so often solely as a duty instead of an expression, the way we live our lives, an expression of love and, and, of, and of gratitude and of a changed heart of what Christ has done in our lives. And so here we see the Apostle Paul um, and remember, when the apostles speak, or when the apostle writes, God speaks, he has a very high view of Scripture. He refers to it as the Word of God. Now, we think of the Word of God as, as simply as the Bible, but we have to remember that, again, the time in which he is writing to them, in a, in a, the Word of God is a common New Testament term referring to the divine authority of the Bible, so that they, they knew it was, it was divine and not human in origin. But also, the, the word of God was also the apostolic preaching of the gospel. When they, when they would come and they would tell the story of, of Jesus Christ, they would say that is the, the word of God, the word of, of the Lord. And it would be, in a sense, uh, the very voice of God, or as we often refer to it as the call of God. So when you share with someone and you ask them if they want to put their trust in Jesus Christ or you tell them the gospel message, that is, in a sense, Christ is issuing the call of faith to them, asking them if they want to uh, respond. People say to me, uh, they don't say it so much anymore, but for years they used to say, well, I want to bring my friend Sunday. Are you going to tell people how to get to heaven? Now that I do it about 10 times in every Sunday sermon, they don't, they don't really... <laughs> They don't ask that question anymore, but that is simply the call of God. It is the call to repentance and faith, the call to turn to God, putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I love about the apostles is they were very, very clear on the source of their message. You know, he says, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. In other words, they would constantly remind the audience and the Bible readers, which would be us as well, that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, by putting your trust in him, you can have all your sins forgiven and you can go to heaven, was not something that they came up with on their own. They weren't just walking down the street one day and go, hey, why don't we go tell a bunch of people this stuff? And remember the, the, in Galatians, uh, Galatians 1, 11 and 12, the apostle Paul wrote these words. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And remember, he went to go talk to the apostles in Jerusalem, and he said, we agreed on the gospel. We had the same gospel. They didn't really know each other. They didn't know each other, and, and yet they both had arrived at the same place because the Spirit of God had given them the same gospel. And again, remember that at this point in time, he's writing, maybe Galatians is written, and only these two books of the Bible are written. They didn't have the New Testament as we know it. What did they have? They had the Apostle, they had the Old Testament and the Apostles' Gospel. And that was enough. That was enough for people to believe. 
So he says they received the God and they welcomed it. What, 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 is that, what does that really mean? Uh, you know, sometimes people think that we have this blind faith, that we're, we're jumping out of the airplane without a parachute. And that's not true at all. We're the people who know the plane's going down, so we need the parachute. So we, our parachute is the Lord Jesus Christ. Other people think we're, we're, we're nuts, and we, we're like, no, no, you're, you're nuts for not, for not trusting in this. So what happened is they heard the gospel, and somehow you have the, the Spirit of God working in the heart, but there's also the idea of the mind. Somehow in the mind and the soul and the spirit and everything kind of all working together, it clicks and it made sense. Remember when we first started this book, we went back to the book of Acts chapter 17, and, and we saw that when the Apostle Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he went immediately to a synagogue, and it said that he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, Acts 17, 2. I mean, he was talking to them, he was talking to their minds. He's really trying to get them to think, and that's why I love that he writes, you welcomed it not as the word of men. You heard this, and it's like they heard it, and like we say around here sometimes, you know, I've said sometimes to the people who don't believe on a Sunday morning, I'm like, this thing is so absurd. It might actually be true. Have you really thought about that? That God became a man, lived a perfect life in your place, died a sinner's death on the cross in your place, rose from the dead to prove that God was satisfied for the, uh, the satisfactory payment. And if you put your trust in him, you will face no judgment for your sins. I mean, who could make something like that up? You know, other people say, well, other religions have God becoming a man. Yes, to take advantage of people, to be, to be cruel, not to, not to lay his life down, not to look so weak. And so the apostles preached this gospel as the very word of God, and it changed the it changed the minds of people, it changed the thinking of people, and, and it changed the way they lived. What happened? The, the gospel somehow was internalized, and the results were amazing. It absolutely changed their hearts. And this is what we see a lot around here, and it's a blessing. I've seen it in so many of you guys. Now, today in the church, it's a little bit different um, more of an emphasis on, if you will, the theatrics of the church and the show. And and uh, they don't call it that. They call it creative arts. And, and I get it. It's good to be creative. I'm not against creativity. I always tell people, not only is God the greatest scientist in the world, he's the greatest artist too. Look at all the artwork that he does. Um, I, I just want to make sure when we talk about such things that, that our motives are correct but but I will say this about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was more interested in being faithful than in being creative. He cared more about the faithful teaching of God's word than he cared about the, the how good was the video or, or how, how good was the creativity uh, of, of, the, of the service. He simply wanted to deliver the word of God to people, to people who didn't yet believe and to the people of God. So he's evangelizing the lost and he is, and, and those as we saw last Sunday, blind, whose eyes need to be opened. And at the same time, he is discipling those who are believers. So the, you know, if effective Bible teaching does both at the same time. It, it is able to help believers to grow and it's able to help people who don't yet believe to understand the gospel. Uh, John MacArthur, who, you know, is often controversial uh, for some of the things that he says, not so much when he's teaching the Bible, when he's being, when he's being interviewed, but he said something that uh, has really been, to me, one of a real a, a thing for me to remember constantly. He said this, the preacher is not a chef, he's a waiter. God doesn't want you to make the meal, he just wants you to deliver it to the table without messing it up. And so I, I think that those are really true words. Great advice for anybody who would, who would share the word of God with people, which should be all of us. Don't feel the pressure to, to come up with something innovative and creative and all that. We got the cards out at the table. What is the gospel? You should be carrying them around with them if you, them around with you. If you don't, you don't have it memorized, I just kind of just summarized it a minute or two ago for you. And, and just, just serve it. 
Don't, don't, don't try and dress it up. Don't try and make it different than it's supposed to be. Just simply serve up the word of God. Now, notice the apostle uh, Paul sees the power of the word of God. He says, it effectively works in you who believe. And, and what happens is when people systematically sit under the word of God, and this is one of the great joys of, of what I get to do, is you actually see people changing. You, you actually see how the word of God is accomplishing its uh, purposes. And, but it requires, again, as MacArthur said, that you, you deliver the meal the right way. Many of us for years who are, who are older, we, we grew up on lots of sermons of, of morality. And I'm not against, I'm not like, like, oh, Pastor Jim says we should be immoral. That's not what I'm saying. But, but the reality is, is that if you teach morality, that is simply just good works. And, and, and that's not going to help anybody in the sense of, you know, well, you, you might feel pretty good about yourself. But really, we want to teach the word of God because when the word of God, word of God is internalized, what does it produce in us? Morality. It, it, it produces that. And, and so now we've, we've left the morality thing and what happens all the time. We go from one extreme to the other and now we're sort of in this successful Christian living kind of mode. And what does that produce? Well, in most people, nothing. But in a, in a few people, they may get a little bit more successful, but it's just, it's just not going to get them to where, the, to, to where God wants them to be. The systematic preaching of God's word gets people to live the life that is pleasing to God. The hard part is to believe that your life is pleasing to God. Is, is, to, is for many of the people that I know, it's to kick that low-level guilt that they spend so much of their time going around like, is God mad at me? Does God hate me? No and no, <laughs> right? Is, is, you know, am I disappointing God? No. When God's not sitting in heaven like, oy vey, oh no. Oh no, look at what they did. Right? In other words, we can be displeasing to God. I'm not saying not, but, but why, don't, why don't we just get the kingdom off our shoulders right? and not let it, let it, let, let it burden us? It should, it should motivate us because what happens when you're overburdened? We don't do anything, do we? We, we get paralyzed by fear, and, and Christianity, no matter what you do, is going to continue. It's just going to continue till the Lord returns. And, and so that's what we get to see in people, how they, they're changing and it's important to see in the apostles, in their writing, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people say today like, oh, well, I don't read the Old Testament. It's a complete waste of time. Um, it is not at all. I, I'm just tomorrow, I'm go- tomorrow morning, Lord willing, I'm going to finish my, I'm in my Bible reading in a year plan and I'm, I'm going to finish the book of Deuteronomy and then meander my way into Joshua a little bit. And, and I got to tell you, boy, it's been rich for me. It has been so rich. I'm reading the blessings and cursings that Moses is talking about. And I'm like, I don't want the curses. <laughs> right? I'm, like, I'm like, Lord, please help me. Please help me. And so this was the Old Testament was their scripture. They just call it the scriptures. We call it the Hebrew scriptures or the, or the Old Testament. And, and, and so, but they had such a high view of the scripture. It wasn't, it wasn't the ways of, of, of man. And, and if you want to have a true ministry of the Lord, a high view of the scripture is absolutely essential. And, and, and people become then, when they have a high view of scripture, they become motivated to know the Lord, uh, to wait on the Lord, and to wait with the Lord. Remember, waiting is not just sitting around doing nothing. Waiting is what we do while we're waiting for God to make his move or, or fulfill his promises. They want to live lives. They're motivated to live lives to please the Lord. And, and they want to flourish as they take in the word of God. And while you think nothing is happening, it's so funny that people, I hear all the time people like, oh, that guy's really changing. Oh, she's really changing. Oh, that person's really growing. I hear that kind of stuff all the time. So this is what I wish you would do. It's nice that you tell me, but make sure you tell them. Right? Don't just, just say like, you know, oh yeah, I got 10 people that are really growing. I'm like, well, go tell them too. And, and so this is, this is a wonderful thing. So in, 
let's put some theological terms on it. What happened with the Thessalonians is the word of God came from God. We call that revelation. It is the revelation of God to the apostles. That is inspiration. They were inspired, carried along by the spirit of God to write the word of God to believers. We call that illumination. Help us to see, Lord. And we'll pray that sometimes. Help us to see. That's just illumination. And so to know God better, we must know his word better. Can I say that again? I know it's so simple. You're like, we know that, Pastor Jim. We really, really know that. You don't need, I'm repeating it for myself then. To know God better, we must know his word better. Because if we don't know his word better, we're left to our own devices. Now, you say to me, some, some of you said, why do you make so, such fun all the time of the Christian bestseller list, the Christian book bestseller list? Because so many of the books are unbiblical. You go, why are people buying them then, Pastor Jim? Because to know God better, you must know his word better. And if you don't know his word better, you'll go out and buy books that are very simple to understand, but are contradictions to God's word. And as we get to know God better, as we understand his word better, now you say, well, I don't understand everything I read. Well, remember, you're just, God's going to hold you responsible for what you do understand. And so what happens is we should be becoming more like Jesus than before. We begin to think his thoughts. We start to act in ways that please him. Let me give you a perfect example. You go to commit a sin. And you, and, and, and you think, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. I'm not going to do that. And then you walk away from it. The other guy, Snaggletooth, comes up to you, whispers in your ear. He's like, well, if you were really a Christian, you would have never thought of that. That is not true. <laughs> that is not true. Full of lies. You should be glorying in God in tears, really, praising God that he's changed you so much that you walked away. That you were, you, like, it actually dawned on you, like, I'm not going to do this. My flesh wants to do it. My inclination is to do it. But I'm not going to do it because I love you, Lord. And somehow I know in this moment the power of your spirit is with me. Is with me. And I've said to so many people, you know, the stuff they're looking at on the computer. I go, is Jesus with you all the time? I go, yes. I go, you're showing him that junk? Are you seriously showing him that junk? Some of these guys are like, you ruined it for me, Pastor Jim. I'm like, great. It's a blessing. Thank you. And so we also learn what pleases God, but we also learn what doesn't please God. We often say this to people that are new in the faith. Read your Bible and do what it says. It's really, in, in many ways, it's that simple. And, and, and that was the Thessalonian church, and, and it should be all of us. And we will start to see our lives change. Okay, there's one verse. We're not doing so well. Verse 14. Verse 14. This is probably, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to say probably, this really is, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's strongest language against Jewish persecution. Now, did you catch what I just said? Not against Jewish people, against Jewish persecution. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. So what he's talking about is the persecution that some of these people are putting against the Christians. He says, for you, brethren, remember the Thessalonian church was mostly Gentiles, non-Jews, became imitators. You started to follow the example of, and we're going to see it's in the sense of suffering, the churches of God which are in Judea. That's the, that's the Greco-Roman name for the land of Judah, so down in Israel, in Christ Jesus. So you... You became imitators of those people. How? For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So he says, listen, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm letting you know, right, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I praise you guys for this. Heaven is ecstatic about this, that just as the guys down in Israel are persevering in the midst of persecution, you guys are doing the same thing. Now, because of their faith, we've talked about it already, and it happens in your life as well. The, the Thessalonians suffered persecution. This has gone on since the days of Christ. It has gone on all the way up till today. And should the Lord not come back tonight, it's going to happen tomorrow. And it's going to continue. Uh, The old expression rings true. We did it when we had the presentation from the voice of the martyrs. Uh, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And notice what it says here, that they became imitators. You became like those people. Now, that's very interesting because you could imagine they heard the stories of the church down in Israel, down in Jerusalem, down in Judah, and, and how they were persecuted, but they were hanging in there, and, the, and, and they were, the apostles were leading. Some of the apostles were down there leading, and well, the apostle Paul's up in the, Roman, up in the northern part of the Roman Empire, and, and they're hearing the stories, and, and they're like, man, those people are really changed by the gospel. That because they're, they're hanging in there, they're being faithful despite all the problems that's surrounding them. And here the apostle comes along and says, you guys are kind of doing the same thing. Like, like you're, you're becoming or you are like the people that you admire. You're, you're becoming imitators of them. You have been changed by the gospel as they have been. And, and now you're changed by the gospel, you're imitating them, you're identifying with them and identifying with the other people of God in the world that are suffering. Now, that's no small thing when it comes to persecution and suffering. If you're able to endure ridicule, if you're able to endure hardships, and you continue to follow God, you continue to follow God. Now, you're like, oh, I should be happy about it. Why? Okay, but you continue to follow God. Loved ones, loved ones, please listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. That is a sign of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. By all reasons, you should quit. You should just say, forget this, this, this Christian thing. I'm done, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get up early. I'm not going to volunteer my time. I'm not going to give any money. I'm not going to endure the ridicule. But you keep at it because God is at work in your life. 2 Timothy 3.12. We have that one? Good. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution. Oh, did I change one word there? Yeah. They not might suffer persecution. They will suffer persecution. If you desire to live a godly life, you in the workplace, you hear, you know, the jokes are coming and you walk the other way. You, you, or, or you're not going to cooperate with certain things. You will suffer persecution. And here's the thing. You, you shouldn't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised that you're being persecuted against. But here's the thing. If you don't read the, and study the word of God, you will be surprised. You'll be like, I don't know why this is happening to me. Well, you have to read your Bible because it says that you will suffer persecution. The Apostle Paul also said that, that we will enter heaven through many tribulations. It's going, to be, it's going to be difficult. And as your affection grows for Jesus Christ, so does your willingness to sacrifice and to serve and even to endure persecution. And the more you want to sacrifice and serve, Don't be surprised when some people hate it, when they see it in you. It gnaws at them. They can't can't stand it. And, 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 you know, it's an interesting thing about serving God. You know, we actually see it in everyone. It's in every human being. Now, some people, it's serving the living God, and some people, it's serving false gods. But, But people will do whatever it takes to serve their God. And when you live for God, what are you doing to their God? You're attacking their God. And when you attack people's gods, they don't like it. 
They don't like it. Verse 15, still talking about the Judeans, uh, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary, some verses say hostile, to all men. Now, let's isolate this just for one second. He's talking about the people that are persecuting down in Judea, down down in, in the area of Jerusalem in that area. And he's specifically talking about these people, and he says that they killed the Lord Jesus. Now, this has actually been the source of a lot of persecution against Jewish people because they said, we don't like the Jews because they killed Christ. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about their persecution, that this is how much they hated Christianity is they killed Christ, but the Romans killed him too. If you read the book of Acts, it, it says that the Jews killed him, the non-Jews killed him, and it was all according to the plan of God. So you might say God killed him too, right? I mean, I mean everybody, everybody's kind of in on it. So, so remember, the context is king here, so there's no reason at all to be anti-Semitic, which some people... Are I, I've seen movies uh, about the Ku Klux Klan and, and talking about how they feel about Jews, and they're basically paraphrasing this verse here. But they're not taking the context into consideration. Verse 16, which we're going to spend a lot of time on tonight, uh, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So some people who are anti-Semitic think part of what they are supposed to do is they are supposed to bring the wrath of God upon Jewish people because that is fulfilling the scriptures. Okay, I know they have an IQ of about 10, but we'll get to that in a minute. Here the Apostle Paul does not hold back his words when speaking of those who hated Jesus and now hate his church. Remember, Jesus was on the earth. They hated him, so they went after him, correct? Then he left. He's gone. He's not here anymore. Then the apostles were going around. They were telling people the good news. So the people hated them, and they went after them. And all throughout the years, the followers of Jesus, Jesus wasn't here. They've been telling people the good news. People hated them. They went after them. So if people are giving you a hard time, you are in a long line of, of, of great company of people who have suffered for the good news of the gospel. Now, again, don't forget when he talks about these people who hated Jesus in the church, remember the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was one of them when he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Now, what's he doing here? He is condemning their attitudes and their actions, not the people. Their attitudes and their actions, and not all of them. The ones that were involved then and the ones that are involved now. Romans 10.1, he says this, same Apostle Paul. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So he's not talking about everyone. He's talking about specific people here. And so let's look at what is he doing for the Thessalonians. He's helping them to understand the nature of the persecution that they are facing. That's why I'm trying to help you understand the nature of the persecution that they are that you are facing. His words help them to see themselves as part of the persecuted church and that they will continue like the church in Judea. We continue like the church in Thessalonica and other churches in the Bible to continue to persevere. And God would say to us that such faith pleases him Because we all know we hate persecution, but the gospel flourishes in the midst of persecution. 
when people see that you continue to follow Christ despite what's going on, somehow more people believe. And in the United States, we've had it easy. We've had it easy. Now we're probably entering a season where it's not going to be so easy, or we might be getting there, or we might be there already in some ways. But when it's not like it is in other places. We still have it quite easy here. But 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 persecution, for some reason, God uses it to spread the gospel. While the opposite is true, it said they are contrary to the gospel, they are hostile to the gospel, and such people, he flat out says that they do not please God. Sadly, they refuse the light, as do many people who refuse to hear the gospel, even in church. I hear so many people talking about, well, it just matters that you go to church. Really? If you go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel, you know what you're doing? You're sitting in a bunch of you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people waiting for the coffee and donuts. <laughs> or to get it, or to, or to leave, get in your car, zip out of the parking lot as soon as possible and get a good seat at the diner before the other before the other people from your church get there. And that's really that's really all it is. And what happens to people who sit in church and and refuse the gospel? Well, judgment awaits. In 1 Thessalonians, it's interesting that that pleasing God appears to be really basically so far two things, keeping his commandments and spreading the good news of the gospel. I mean, it's it's really a shocking thing to a lot of people that spreading the good news of Jesus Christ is a biblical mandate. It's something that God tells us to do. That's what followers of Jesus are to do. Now, hopefully we're not too obnoxious with it. The gospel is offensive enough. We don't need to be offensive in our presentation of it. But uh, I was talking with some people this weekend. Recent poll says that 47% of millennials say that you should not share the gospel with people that you know, of those who profess to be Christians. That's a dramatic shift. Fortunately, the people that I were with were all in that age group, and they all disagreed. So not with they, – they, they said, no, we're supposed to. But, but we are to share our faith. So back in chapter 1, in verses 6 to 8, we saw how it pleased God that the Thessalonians received the word of God and that they were thankful in persecution and their spreading of the good news. And, and so – Having received the word of God, having welcomed the word of God, they began to then get God's heart and spread the word of God, as we saw back in chapter one throughout the region. Now, this is one thing that um, it's one of my pet peeves, you know, uh, one of my 5,000 pet peeves that I have with, with the way sometimes the church accommodates the gospel in a really unhealthy way. What is he talking about with the Thessalonian church? He's talking about, basically, this is a proud papa. This is a proud pastor, not in a bad way. He's thrilled that they are following Jesus. The church in America really has has made it all about accepting Jesus. I would say receiving is a better word than accepting anyway. But, but, but we've made it a lot about accepting Jesus but when you read the scriptures, it seems to be that the apostles taught about following Jesus. I mean, that you really haven't received Jesus if you're not following him. You know, I, sometimes I, I, I hear people say, well, I'm saved. I'm just not walking with the Lord. And I go like Kramer on them. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? <laughs> Jerry, what do you mean? Right? It's not like, I'm, I'm what, what does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm just not walking with the Lord. I think the apostles would be like, what? What, what is that? It, it, it's, it's following Jesus is, is evidence of one's salvation. It doesn't mean we don't have our moments. It doesn't mean maybe sometimes we're, we, we're in peaks and valleys. But, but to be so cavalier about it is, is very, very, to me, shaky ground. So verse 16 we're going we're gonna to really go through it a number of different times. It's a, it's a massively controversial verse. And, and, and some would say it's anti-Semitic. 
uh, some would say that, but that Jesus was anti-Semitic in Matthew 23. But, but the truth of the matter is, let's just read it again, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. It's not anti-Semitic. That verse is anti-sin. And there's a huge, huge, huge difference. It's it's tempting. And and listen, there's many pastors who are much smarter than me. Sorry, you got the booby prize. That that would just want to skip this and move on. But I don't really want to do that. I want to I want to use this verse as not only to teach us what I believe the Lord is telling us here, but also it's great to teach the Bible, but I don't do you a service if I don't teach you how to read the Bible. And so this is when you get into these difficult verses, instead of just throwing up your arms and, and, and coming to some crazy conclusions, there's some things that we can, we can do. As we often say, when we come to these verses that are confusing, context is king. He's talking about people that are, that are you know, uh, persecuting them. We saw the same thing in Galatians. Remember the Judaizers. They were saying you had to be circumcised. You had to first become a Jew, then you could become a Christian. There were other people who were mad because, listen, we're fine if you believe in God. Just don't believe, don't come to God through Jesus. And so, so we go slowly and we focus on what's clear. And that helps us to bring some light to, to what's not so clear. And we can sometimes, we'll dismiss a little bit what's not 100% clear. Now, some of you might say, oh, well, some of these things are very clear to me. My answer to that situation, and we're going to come across a few different things in terms of uh, end times theology, is to remember that a lot of times we've been only taught one person's point of view. And there's a lot of people with different points of view that love the Lord every much as fit as you do, and I do. They're, not, they're gospel people, but on certain issues, they, they feel differently, and if everybody has to believe exactly the way you do, then you will have a church that will be the church of me, myself, and I. Because not everybody b- believes the, the same way. I'll sit and have dinner with my wife. We'll talk about something. I go, well, I believe this. My wife's like, I don't believe that. Right? So, I mean, everybody, that, that's, that's just the way it, it, it's going to be. And, and there's a lot of that stuff in First and Second Thess- Thessalonians. So, again, he's talking about Jewish opponents who are not pleasing to God, not all Jews. They forbid us to speak. And he says they make, another version says they make an effort to stop us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So God has great displeasure in them. He calls them people that are contrary or hostile in, in, in why? Because they are attempting to silence God's spokesmen and women. In other words, these people, okay, they, they're forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. They may be saved. They wanted the life-changing and life-saving message of Jesus Christ to be withheld from people who were dying in their sins. We don't want you talking to people about that stuff. Now, what does the scripture tell us? that God wants all men to be saved. And it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a gender thing there. It's all men and women to be saved. They wanted no men and women to be saved through Jesus Christ. They wanted to silence the gospel. And, and the Apostle Paul says that is sinful. They did not want the gospel declared in Israel They did not want the gospel declared in the rest of the world. They didn't want people to know Jesus. Also, there's something else that the gospel would imply to some of these people. And the implication was that maybe God was in the process of doing something that he has promised many times before. 
that he would forsake unbelieving Israel, not believing Israel, unbelieving Israel who had forsaken him. And now he was going to go out into the world and invite non-Jews into the kingdom of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Acts 13, the apostle Paul and Barnabas encountered opposition from the religious leaders in Antioch. In verse 46 says this, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So that wasn't that hard, was it? That's the easy part. It gets more difficult. You ready? Let's try it again. Verse 16. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. Now, the term fill up uh, occurs elsewhere, and it has to do with uh, people who are opposed to God's plan. Now, it's interesting, all throughout the Bible, there's this sort of thing that we sort of, I guess we sort of skip over it but, it, but it's real and it's there. And it's the idea of God's plan for his people to subdue the earth. It's part of the gospel of the Old Testament. And, and, and Adam was supposed to what? Subdue the earth. Then, then that didn't work out so well. And then we come to Noah and God says, well, let's try it again. And then... Um, That didn't go so well. And then sort of tried it with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Then Moses. Then the Israelites. Yet it was not until the last Adam, Jesus Christ, arrived that the law was perfectly obeyed. And then the good news of the gospel is to be passed on. So finally, we've come to the place in redemptive history where God's plan is in full motion, if you will, in full gear. It's, already, it's always been in motion, but now it, it's been made plain to us. And so to set ourselves against the gospel or to not align ourselves with the gospel, which is God's way of salvation, is to set ourselves against God and to align with his enemies. And so that's what he's talking about here, that they're filling up the measure of their sins. In that sense, the cup of their sins is full. Their cup is full. First they killed Jesus, and then after he rose from the dead, they tried to kill the good news. So if you will, their, their cup of sin runneth over. Way back in Isaiah, 700 years earlier, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, and, and, and the Lord said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. So what are these religious leaders, these persecutors doing, they are fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah as the good news goes forward. What did Jesus say? Matthew 23, 31 and 32, the famous woe chapter to the religious leaders. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murder the prophets. Verse 32, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. So they are, they are overflowing with guilt. Okay, it gets harder. Verse 16, again. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now this is where some people think that they are supposed to join in helping with this wrath. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That, it, that is not our job. And here the Apostle Paul speaks like an Old Testament prophet. He says, because you are against the gospel, because you have tried to silence the gospel, the wrath of God 
has come to you. So how has it come to them? Well, five basic theories, some might say six. Let's, let's start with uh, one that many people would say. They would say um, it's the Babylonian captivity. Well, that was almost 600 years ago. That's 600 years ago. That seems a little um, too long ago for the Thessalonians, although that's part of God's wrath. Uh, some would say, and most don't take it too seriously, that the, the famines that came to the, to the land of Israel prior, just prior to this being written or the murderous revolts that had gone on, most people would not be on board with that, so we won't count that as a theory. Uh, the second one, and, the, and very widely accepted, is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and so the Apostle Paul is, is prophesying as Jesus told them would happen. That's really the mother of all prophecies that Jesus told them that that was going to happen. And um, I'm not so sure how that applies to the Thessalonians at this point in time. Uh, another uh, theory is that this is the enemies of God that are alive at the time, that things are going to happen to them. Uh, another one, which is the eternal judgment of all who shut the door to God now will have the door shut on them. Certainly you can't deny that that's true. And the last would be the second coming. Now, some people would say, well, Pastor Jim, uh, look what he's saying here. He, he's, he's, he's saying to them, has come upon them, come upon, past tense. He's speaking in the past tense. Now you have to really concentrate. We're almost done here. This is, appears to be what we call the prophetic perfect tense. It's not important that you remember that term. We've talked about it before, but it's been a while. But it is important that you remember what it means and, and how it applies to the scriptures and when you're reading the scriptures. In the prophetic perfect tense, the word of God speaks in the past tense of the certainty of future events. We have that? Remember, God lives out of space and time. So he is able to have the Bible writers write. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. He's able to speak in the past tense of, of the certainty of future events because in his mind, they have already happened. He knows what's, what's going to happen. And, and that's part of God's sovereignty. Now, in certain different things, we'll talk more about this as we go further along in the book of First and Second Thessalonians, is remember we said in Matthew's gospel that the kingdom comes in stages. Remember we said that the apostles were confused because they thought the kingdom had arrived. That's why, that's why you know, Salome said, hey, can my boys sit at your right and your left? Hey, how about that? I mean, what a good seat. Kingdom's coming. Yay. But that's not what's happening. The kingdom comes in stages. And if the kingdom comes in stages, so does the wrath. We live in another part of the world. I say the wrath. So does the wrath of God. And we've used this illustration before. If you're going uh, towards New York City and, and you come, you're like in the Clifton area. And, and, and you, you kind of go over like Route 21 or something like that, you will see New York City right in front of you. And it looks like just one big continuous building. But it's not until you get closer that you see that it, the, there's separation. It's a series of buildings. And when you get inside, you see it's a big series of buildings. So you say, I went to the city. City one place. So the kingdom, yes, is a kingdom, but there's separate happenings like the separate buildings of New York City. The wrath of God, there's separate occurrences like the buildings of New York City. So it's important to remember this stuff when we're, when we're, reading, uh, we're reading the scriptures. So what's the right way of the wrath that has come upon these people that, that are fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah and Jesus is woeing them, saying they fill up the measure of your father's guilt. Well, it could be all of them. It could be because the, the wrath 
of God has been inaugurated already against hard hearts and and the cross and the persecution are part of the process and there are still other things to come. It's part of what we say constantly about the kingdom of God, that, that we have the kingdom already, but not yet. So the kingdom is ours. It's ours already, but we have not yet fully experienced it. We've, we've partially experienced it, uh, but, we, but it will be fully experienced later, to which I say, praise the Lord. So it's like, it's like having a rich uncle. And, and your rich uncle says, I'm going to give you a certain amount of money to live. You're going to live really well. And, and when I die, then you get all my money. So, so do you have his money? You do already, but not yet. It's already promised to you, but not yet has it been fully realized. And it's important to, to come across some of these terms and, and to understand this is kind of the way that God talks so, again, the, the same is true for wrath. 70 A.D., when, when, when the Romans came in and they, and they leveled the temple, they leveled Jerusalem, th- there was more to come. That, there's more wrath to come. We still haven't come to final judgment yet. That's why we must preach the gospel. But what happens is when people don't understand these things because they don't study the Bible carefully, it's very easy to be either a pseudo-Christian or a biblically illiterate Christian and, and, and to read verses like this and become anti-Semitic. You know, the same argument was used in a lot of places by, by slave owners. People use the Bible for anything. And, and, and so sometimes people will say, well, look at what they did. The reality is, and this might be hard for some people to swallow, but Christians have treated Jews way worse, way worse than Jews have ever treated Christians. Way worse. I mean, there was plenty of Christians in Nazi Germany. And only a few of them said anything. Only a few of them said anything. The rest of them didn't say anything at all. Some of the early church fathers, John Christostom, the, really the founder, one of the founders of the, of the Orthodox Church. People read, I read it, people like me, we read his, his writings. Guy did eight sermons, basically on why we're supposed to hate the Jews. The Crusades treated them terribly. The Jews were treated terribly. And and the Christians, they stand by and they watch. Martin Luther, great reformer. It was towards the end of his life. Hopefully he was losing his mind. Had some terrible, terrible things to say. And, And... because they don't really look at the scripture carefully, what happens? People say, well, look at what this says. Look at what happened here. They, they, they stopped the gospel. They killed Jesus. They stopped the gospel. And now the wrath of God is upon them. But what did the Apostle Paul keep doing? Every city he went to. He went to the synagogue first. He writes in Romans, listen, God... You save them, take, let me go, send me to hell, really. Why is this important? It's important so we realize that, that, that prejudice is an ugly, ugly thing. It's so ugly. It is so not the heart of God. It, is that the heart of God? Who hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? I don't think so. It's so important that we warn people not because we hate people. We warn people of the wrath to come. We're not putting their trust in Jesus because we love people. 
and we tell them the good news. And we tell them the plan that God has for their life. And let prejudice be just done away with in Christianity. There's absolutely no place for it. In anti-Semitism, our king was a Jewish carpenter. Well, let's stand and pray.